Hey everyone, welcome to the Royal Podcast of Oz. It's another session of Movies of Oz, except this time we're going to be talking about movies you can't actually see. It was going to be a movie, like originally it was going to be like um, an episode or a bunch of episodes, then a TV movie, then a theatrical movie. Um, it was just one of those Oz um, productions that just had a bit of development difficulties and we'll be discussing it here. It yeah. being Disney's Rainbow Road to Oz. Walt Disney was a huge fan of the Oz books. After the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, he was like, hey, let's see what, well, let's see uh, what's going on with the Oz books. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Metro Golden Mayor already had the rights to the Wizard of Oz, and they're all like, oh no, we're going to make our own movie. And well, we know what happened from that. And then to complicate matters even more, uh, Maud Gagebaum refused to sell him the rights simply because she wasn't a fan of him. Why do you suppose Maud didn't quite like Disney? Uh, I really don't think it was anything personal. It's just that uh, I suppose she didn't exactly care for the type of humor that he went for, some of the more slapstick stuff. So, you know, you'd you know even in Snow White, you'd see Dopey getting smacked up beside beside the head, uh, dwarves falling downstairs. I guess she just didn't want to see that uh, that type of stuff happening in Oz. And after all, she already had the 90, had to put up with the nineteen twenty five film, so she was like, no. Uh, when Maud uh, died, though, he was. Quick to snatch up the rights to the eleven books that he could, and then uh, the rights for Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz came up for actually the almost the, the same price he paid for the other eleven books, and he went ahead and paid for it. Well, he wanted to have a special on the Disneyland TV show that was not a story. You know, you said TV movie, but the thing is that the TV movie wasn't exactly a big thing about that time. So it was just going to be a mini-series on a show. Then he decided to turn it into a theatrical piece to star the Mouseketeers. Because they already had quite a bit of success with the Mickey Mouse Club TV show. And he wanted to ensure... And he knew, but he knew that they couldn't always do that. So he wanted to break him into the film field. And he decided to use Oz for that. However, there were difficulties. The One of the biggest problems, I think this was probably the most important, was the script. They had trouble trying to find the right story for the film. And it got rewritten several times. And I suppose Walt just wasn't happy with it. People also cite the songs as a problem and said that... The MGM movie had been re-released recently about that time. And they knew that people would still know, we'll have to see The Wizard over the rainbow, and we'd be expecting songs of that caliber. The thing is, is that one of the things about, unlike some of the other projects we'll be talking about, one of the things about The Rainbow Road to Oz that we can enjoy is the songs. And I suppose we better get into how we first saw some of those, and that was... On the Disneyland 4th Anniversary Show, at the very end of it, 
uh, the Mouseketeers talked to Walt Disney about making the Rainbow Road to Oz, and the way it's staged for the show is that it looks like they're convincing him, but the thing was, was that he was actually quite convinced. He was a very good actor. <laughs> well, hey, he had to direct people to do that. So, um, they did three songs from the film, and... The first of them being a song, Patches, that was sung by the Scarecrow and the Patchwork Girl. Now, you have to remember that uh, this is a preliminary show. These were probably not the same costumes or set designs intended to be used in the film. So, this was just something they they did quickly for television to get people excited for the film. Because we have patches growing on trees as well as trees of balloons. Scraps the Patrickle is played by Doreen, and the Scarecrow is played by Bobby. Scraps is played by Doreen Tracy, and the Scarecrow is played by Bobby Burgess. Although, it's said that the singing voices were dubbed by Gloria Wood and Doodles Weaver for the number, so we're probably not hearing the actual Masqueteers' voices. Yeah, not on this song, and I agree because... I'd seen other episodes of the Mickey Mouse Club on VHS, and this was not what they sounded like. It's like, the Patrick Girl has a high-pitched voice that's rather cute, and the Scarecrow has kind of a deep voice, which was really not Bobby's voice. I've often noticed how when Bobby, or the Scarecrow, sings about the patches she has, and when he gets to the bit about... Bright and gay. I've noticed how Scraps' face sort of cringes at that word. So maybe Bobby had a terrible singing voice that she just could not resist um, acting against when they actually filmed that. Did you ever see that too? Uh, Not really. Um, The scene in question here, folks, is... Apparently, in this version of Oz, this is how the Scarecrow and Scraps first meet. And Scraps is walking along a road, and she finds a patch growing on a tree. She takes it, puts it on herself, and then she sings her song, and then she bumps into the Scarecrow, who meets her and joins in the song with her. And that's pretty much the whole plot of the piece. Now, what do you think of the song? I'm thinking about it, like I've just heard it recently, and it's not bad. Like, it's not great, it's not emotional, but it's fun to listen to, and it's fun to remember. It's definitely not the same caliber as the songs in the MGM film, but on the other hand, they're not bad songs. It's not supposed to, anyway. Yeah, it, it was a cute, it was a really cute song. Patches, patches, pick some pretty patches. And they're actually, well, you know, it's not of the same caliber. There is some clever writing there where the Scarecrow is singing about all the patches on Scraps. And, you know, it's really fun there. Let's see. Turkish towel and taffeta too. Purple and pink and daisy blue. Linen and Latin and satin and lace. Two button eyes and a muslin face, a calico head Thanks, with cotton bro. brains. They'll shrink, I think, if it ever rains. Oh, Jiminy, criminy, 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 what if it rains? 
<laughs> what if it rains? <laughs> yeah, so it was clever on its own. Bobby as the scarecrow. He's not bad, but I think he maybe looks a little bit too big, like a bit too much of a body for the scarecrow. His face looks a little bit slightly kooky, maybe, just with this sharp, grinning smile and very big hat. Just he looks a little bit too stuffed, don't you think? Yeah. For the individual piece, I guess it was okay when you consider this was a preliminary piece, not an actual clip of the film. But uh, right here, it doesn't look that great. And the Petra girl, she's actually um, quite a bit younger than her book counterpart. Like, when I read the Petra girl book, um, I get the sense that Scraps is a sort of more womanly age, even though she's um, a cotton marinette or something like that i do get the sense that she's of like the woman age whereas in this disney version she's sort of more of a like a girl like just a bit older than dorothy or more or less the same age and scarecrow is likewise younger as well not so much a man you know i kind of actually like that dynamic a bit more because it kind of does make him feel a bit more relatable yeah now the Mouseketeers, in this segment, the Mouseketeers reveal a little bit more about the plot, which is somehow that the Cowardly Lion has been made King of Oz instead of the Scarecrow. And uh, there's a magic spell that's been cast down that makes him cruel and conceited. And uh, Dorothy and her friends try to break the spell by singing a song called Oz Can Hop which is probably not the best of the numbers uh, out there. It's not the worst, but um, there are one or two bits about this song that I don't quite like. Um, Like that little reference of the square dance. It doesn't quite have enough music in the background. You can hear the footsteps dancing, but um, yeah. yeah. This one is definitely... Yeah, this one was definitely not redubbed. That's definitely the voices of the Mouseketeers you hear there. They have, yeah, Darling as Dorothy, Annette Funicello as Ozma, Karen as Polychrome, uh, Cubby as Buttonbright. There's also other Mouseketeers playing Zeb. And there's also uh, Doreen and uh, Bobby as the Scraps and the Scarecrow. And someone else is playing the Cowardly Lion. I forget who it was, though. They never really said who was playing who. But um, when I've looked back on it again and again and read read a few articles, um, they did sort of say how the tall boy next to Dorothy is Zeb. And I think that little girl is polychrome because she has a sort of hairnet. And even though it's in black and white, the dress does sort of look like polychrome's gown from the road to oz book and who knows maybe that little from hand boy could be button bright or something yeah they definitely got the right age for button bright there i'd say just a different look yeah. not the sailor outfit they got the right age and who knows since there was a since there was a preliminary Maybe it would have been a sailor outfit or something different, but this is just what they did for 
uh, so. Darling Gillespie is Dorothy. Uh, to be honest, something just didn't feel right about her there. I mean, I could believe she was a Kansas girl, but I couldn't believe she was Dorothy. Me neither. Um, it could be, like, the sort of frilly dress, the very puffy insides, the, um, the face or the hair, maybe the voice, but I don't know. She just didn't really seem the right choice for Dorothy. No. I don't ha- I don't think I have a problem with Annette as Ozma. She actually looks good, but... Oh, and that made a beautiful Ozma. For me, Darlene, it was all about her uh, performance there. And just, frankly, it was way too confident. And I think if the Cowley Lion had been placed under a spell, Dorothy, the Dorothy we know would be concerned about her friend. And this is just a little bit too cheery and upbeat... Really? Or maybe Dorothy would have been concerned for her friend, like, before the musical number. But we just never got to see that. Yeah. And, you know, the song is bouncy and fun, but it's really not that good. Uh, A dance part Kansas part ours who take the beat, beat, beat of the Kansas rain as it's tapping out a rhythm on your window pane. Then from Oz you get a tune that just won't stop. Mix them up, then you got the Oz can hop. That's how the first line goes. I tried seeing that recently at work and my voice just went into this total southern twang, Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It's a fun, energetic piece, but again, I just don't really think it was the best. Although it's not, it's not that bad, so it's um, passable. Yeah, it is a shame how Walt never went along with this project, but I thought of um, a few other reasons why he didn't. He had just released Alice in Wonderland six years ago. That film wasn't um, very accepted. Like, it is easier to... Um, okay, well, Alice in Wonderland that his Disney animated film had been based on two episodic books by Lewis Cowell. And um, even though Oz has a much better story structure, Walt was going to be making a new story out of the old material, like he did sort of Wonderland. So I think the failure at the box office for Alice in Wonderland was still in his mind, even six years later. And he was also developing Sleeping Beauty, um, which was two, almost less than two years away from being released, um, working on Disneyland The Park, and Walt was a perfectionist. So um, as much as he loved to do an Oz movie, like from a cartoon into a live-action theatrical movie, I just don't think he... Um, could really devote the time, energy, and perfectionism to make this the way it should have been, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's sad because you could tell that he had the heart for it. And I th- probably if he had the right script, he might have actually gone ahead for it. But I think it says something about his actual love for Oz that he decided, you know what, this is not doing justice to uh, what people are expecting for Oz, so we're not going to do it right now. So I think that says something about the Oz fan he was. Sort of has to do with the idea of letting something good go rather than giving people something bad in the end. 
that's probably what he was about. He was about turning out a quality product. If it was not a quality product, he did not want to do it. That's not saying that everything Walt Disney did was pure gold. I mean, he had a few problems, but he at least tried to do the best he could. However, the preliminary show actually ended with what might have been one of the best songs written for the film, even though it didn't happen. And that is the title song, The Rainbow Road to Oz. Oh, yes. The title song. Yeah, in, in it, Mouseketeers and uh, the Oz characters uh, walk up a giant birthday cake with four candles because it's the fourth uh, anniversary of the Disneyland uh, television show. And they it's a really wonderful song. It's like, up we go, the rainbow-colored skyway, on we go, to reach the land of Oz, where daisies grow. There beyond the byway, up we go, the rainbow road to Oz. Yeah, it is a great song. Even though hearing the idea of dancing up a giant cake sounds funny, it actually looks much better than it sounds. And that's actually a good explanation for the four candles for for the anniversary. I never thought of that before. Well, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And getting back to the story... Um, I've sometimes wondered, like, I don't know why they would have made the lion the king of Oz, but I suppose had the story been developed, um, we would have found an explanation for that. Um, I like the way he looks, I mean, with the crown, the cape, and on the throne with the Oz on it, which almost um, develops into what we see in a much later movie, but I like... I really like the way the lion looks here. Um, it does slightly resemble Bert Law, but not so much. Um, Walt Disney was going for a look that was reminiscent of MGM, but not actually derivative of it. I kind of wish they had been able to work it out, because this looks like it would have been a really nice, fun film. Even if the story um, wasn't exactly as Ozzy as it could have been. They should have brought Ruth Plummy Thompson on board. She would have been all about it. (laughs) When I was looking at the articles and the characters in the segment, I started wondering about how they'd probably have Dorothy come to us. Like, if it's true that Polychrome is in here, and they were making the one movie out of several of Baum's Oz books, maybe they would have had Polychrome's Rainbow drop in on Kansas, and Dorothy would probably take this opportunity to go to Oz, and likewise the farmhand boys would come along with her. Perhaps. It was titled The Rainbow Road to Oz. Of course, that's a pretty um, nice image to imagine when you hear that title. Like, you instantly think of the fifth Oz book with just a rainbow on it. At least that's what I have in the last few years. And actually, there were quite a few other songs written for the movie that weren't included in the segment. There was Dorothy's um, Why Don't They Believe in Oz, Why Can't They Try, where Dorothy sings about the land of Oz after she's been there and how Aunt Tim and Uncle Henry don't believe her stories. Several songs that were under consideration for the film finally appeared on a record album, 
called The Cowardly Lion of Oz, which was a completely new story. I believe that the songs were repurposed, though, because, like you said there, the song, If You Believe, apparently was originally written for Dorothy wondering why Aunt Em and Uncle Henry, or maybe maybe even Zeb and, or maybe Button Bright, don't believe in her stories about Oz. But in the Cowardly Lion album, it's now um, Glinda singing about how she had faith in the Cowardly Lion all along. So prob- So if you do hear the songs there, they're probably not in their original form. They probably alter the lyrics a bit. Oh, I wondered about... Yeah. There was that song, which... It, it's very lovely as it, it's produced, but who knows? There's also this other song, Living a Lovely Life, which... Is sung by the Cowardly Lion, so apparently he starts off with uh, being King of Oz in his own right mind and everything. Which, it's kind of funny. Although, there is a lyric I have a problem with. I've got my palace, it's so grand, a coach made out of platinum, and a lifetime pass to Disneyland. Why does the Cowardly Lion have a <laughs> lifetime pass to Disneyland? How is he going to get there? <laughs> I think it must have been promotion. I really hope that was not part of the original film score lyrics because that could have easily brought a lot of people out of the picture. And if it was, no wonder Disney passed on it. Yeah, I think it might have. But however, considering that this is Walt Disney, I don't think we, we'd have to worry about that. If it, Only if it was today, then we'd be unsatisfied with that. And we also heard those two songs at the Winky Convention in 2011 for Oars Under the Sea. Joe Cascone and uh, David Haynes performed a medley of songs prepared for the Rainbow Road to Oz in there. And they did a really good job. Although I do have to wonder that did they actually get some of the original lyrics there or did they alter them? I don't know. It was fun. And we were there in person. Virtual high five. Um, I actually like how they sung the Rainbow Road to Oz title song more than the Musketeers themselves. You do? I'm not saying the Musketeers sing it badly. I'm just saying how I enjoy the two men singing it a little bit more than the children did. I know. I kind of like the uh, full uh, chorus there. To me, at least, it had a fuller sound, but to each their own. You can get The Rainbow Road to Oz on DVD, your host, Walt Disney. Yeah, that's, that was part of the Walt Disney Treasures line, so it might be difficult to find right now. Unless you look on eBay. Of course, so you might have to be prepared to pay a little bit of a price if you, if you really want it. And some kindly souls have posted on YouTube if you really want to want to see it, but can't really afford much. And if you would like to know more information about this partially developed project, we have some links provided for you to click on too. There were some other songs on the Cowardly Lion album that I really wonder how they would have fit into there. There's one called "There's Trouble in Oz," which is singing, which is a song pretty much about uh, trouble in Oz. That's it. <laughs> when we're sounding the Oz alarm. <laughs> and then there's a really confusing song called the Ozphabet. And uh, H is for Scarecrow. H because he's hay-filled. These are simple Ozphabetic laws. 
H is for Scarecrow, because everybody knows the alphabet's the Oz for Oz. I really wonder what that song would have gone for in Rainbow Road to Oz. There's a couple other songs, but, I'm begin- but I kind of suspect they were written a bit more for the album or heavily rewritten. Um, one of them is called Just Call Smarmy, which who knows? Maybe Smarmy the Witch is the one who places the Cowardly Lion under that curse. And then the other one's called The Puppet Polka, which it doesn't really have any Oz connection to it at all. So it could have easily been a song that just popped in for the puppets there. It is a little bit hard to connect everything with such a obscure project divided into a segment on TV and some revised songs on an album story. Yeah, really have to use your imagination. I do think sometimes, though, why doesn't Disney revive it and turn it over to Pixar? You think they do a good job? Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm pretty sure they could at least rework some elements. I mean, maybe they wouldn't have the Cowardly Lion as king. Maybe they wouldn't exactly have the songs as we know them, but I think they might be able to do something with it. Although I guess right now Disney is going to try with live action and CG with their new movie coming out. And, of course, Disney buying up all those rights and then sitting on them for so many years led, led to their return to Oz in 1985. But uh, that's a bit beyond the scope of what we're doing right now. Even though Walt Disney never got to make The Rainbow Road to Oz, he did make Babes in Toyland, and that had a few sort of loose connections to Oz. Um, instead of playing Ozma, Annette played... Mary Quite Contrary. Mary. And Ray Bolger is in it, and so is Ed Wynn, who had been under consideration to play the wizard in the MGM movie. Was Brave in Toyland the first Disney live-action movie? No. No. In fact, it wasn't even Annette's uh-huh. first movie. Uh, she first appeared in the movie The Shaggy Dog. Babes in Toyland. It was a very sweet film. It was described as overtopping without the cake so to speak. So just it goes to show how, how lucky it was that Rainbow Road wasn't made. Like, I don't think Babes in Toyland is a bad film. I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's good. It's fun, but it could be a little bit better. Now we're getting a little off topic. Although we do have to admit, though, we I do just have to point out that Babes in Toyland was based on a play that... They wanted them to make because of the success of the original stage musical, The Wizard of Oz. So, haha. Even though Disney never got to make Oz movies when Walt was alive, they did get to do The Wizard of Oz as an album story, as well as The Scarecrow of Oz, The Tin Woodman of Oz, and The Cowardly Lion of Oz. Which we already said it was an original story. The Disney company did get to do Oz eventually. They just didn't get to do the Rainbow Road to Oz. If you would like to know more about these albums, you can see them at see them on the Royal Blog of Oz, which we will provide link-wise. The Rainbow Road to Oz is by far not the only abandoned Oz film project over the years. Uh, the very first one was from 1921, which... Okay, actually, I suppose... The very first abandoned Oz film project was a very large scale, you could say, because the Oz Film Manufacturing Company, who did all the silent films, 
they were planning on producing all of Elfling Bomb's fantasies as films. Never happened, though. First I've heard of that. Yeah, they were. But we already know that they had problems with distributing them, finding the right audience, which just wasn't around at the time. And then later, uh, the Edison Company sued a whole bunch of film companies for using their uh, cameras. As crazy as that sounds, it actually held up. The next one was from 1921, which was going to be made by Ray C. Smallwood. Never heard of that. Apparently he did have plans, but it just didn't happen. He doesn't really have a lot of uh, really notable work connected to his name. He actually did more visual effects on films. He started directing in 1914 with a film called Miss Nobody from Nowhere. And his last director job was, it was in 1922 called When the Desert Calls. He apparently wanted to do The Wizard of Oz, but it just didn't happen. Hmm, I'd never heard of that one before. That That's all I've heard, though, so who knows how he would have done it. Every now and then there's been some over-the-years animoscope. We saw, a, like, a preliminary hmm. film for it, where it was pretty much rotoscoped animated animation, and they were planning on doing an Oz uh, TV series called The Wonderland of Oz. And following the success of... Uh, very adult-themed Alice in Wonderland 1976, the same producers of that were going to do The Wizard of Oz as a pornographic film. Now, you're probably glad that didn't happen. (laughs) So am I. And probably the reasons why was The Wiz, them hearing that there was going to be a movie version of The Wiz as well, and also a certain Australian film from about that time that came stateside, so... They uh, so whether you whether or not you like The Wiz or the Australian movie Oz, just think. However much you dislike those, they save us from a full blown porno. When MGM was going to make a 1936 version of The Wizard of Oz, um, the cast wasn't exceedingly different. Some of the choices were for Dorothy were 11 year old Marsha May Jones, who I guess would have been good. But the more well-known choices were Mary Pickford, who was 40 in 1936, and or Helen Hayes, who was 33. Now, I don't get that. Why would they cast a woman who was one of the women between 33 and 40 to play a girl named Dorothy, who is clearly a child? Um, Sam? Did you forget the 1902 musical? Well, she was still 15 then. So there's oh, a big yeah. difference between a 15-year-old teenager and a 30- or 40-year-old woman. But like the thing is, is that they can make these actresses look a lot younger. And since they were movie stars, even back then, they could uh, make themselves look pretty young. After all, how old was Charlotte Henry when she played Alice in that Paramount movie? 17. Playing 12 and a quarter or so? 12 and three quarters? That was about the same case with Judy Garland in the MGM Wizard of Oz. 16 playing 12. Mm. Well, yes, but there's a big difference between a teenager and someone in their 30s or 40. They, apparently what they're going to be doing was a 
what they planned to do was a very different adaptation, not uh, follow, not a faithful adaptation of Baum's novel. Probably a bit more in line with the original musical. There was also going to be like this thing called Lost in Oz, which was going to be a TV series or a Tim Burton movie. Um, it's pretty obscure. It's a little bit hard to find the right information on. Apparently, it was originally being conceived as a TV movie by Tim Burton, and uh, apparently that got scrapped, and they decided to redevelop it as a TV series, and they produced a pilot of it, which got leaked out, and it's still very much a bootleg item, And but for whatever reason, they decided not to make the series after the pilot. It starred Melissa George, an Australian actress in the lead role, sort of MGM-influenced. I can see why they abandoned it. Like, the special effects would have been very expensive each episode. And, yeah, I would have liked to have seen a better resolution, I suppose. Yeah, we have seen it. It's gotten out there. People have seen it. The damage has been done, so... Sorry. (laughs) What was finished was pretty dark. There was no real whimsy or really funny moments. Nothing to really make you fall in love with it. So, perhaps it just didn't really work. And they just decided, this is not what we want to do. And maybe, in some cases, corporations do have some wisdom. Did you actually see the Last Night's pilot? Yes, I did. Not, not on TV, but um, it was given to me. And that's how... The only way I could see it. I guess it could be considered an unfinished project, but the pilot was finished, and that is what we have seen. So, so we might forget that it is an unfinished project. <laughs> now, the plot of it was that an agent named Alex gets hurled to Oz, where she finds there's a new Wicked Witch of the West, and she was going to go back, but uh, she winds up getting stranded when she has to use the tornado that would have sent her home to get rid of the Wicked Witch. And that's how the series would have kicked off. The Wicked Witch um, looked almost like Enya, sort of. Yeah, she did. That's creepy. Alex was also accompanied by this guy who had also been Oz long before he, she arrived. And it turns out he's actually from World War Two. And so time has passed differently between these two characters. And his jacket says Scarecrow or something. It says Scarecrow, and she notices it. He says it's his call sign. Yeah, so are you and I thinking... Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Are you thinking that it would have turned out to be the Scarecrow? Well, it's just more how if the series had progressed, Alex, the Dorothy character, transported to Oz by Cyclone, would have also met a... Tin Man and Lion character. Most definitely she would have. But they didn't pull it right out in the pilot. And we do see Ozma and the Good Witch of the South. But, and maybe the Hungry Tiger. But not so much that last one. Just a giant tiger who's doesn't express his hunger. Or say anything. Now, there's also been various Oz projects mentioned throughout the years it's like if you listen closely to Hollywood there's always been something and you know you can find all sorts of titles that they might not even been uh, picked up really 
uh, Pamela West, Surrender Dorothy. That one was only rumored to recently to have been revived with Drew Barrymore in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently they said it was being revived, but another source said that's not true. They press just made that up to have a story. Warner Brothers was also in on the gimmick, or so to speak, of making a sequel to MGM, like a sort of official sequel. They were to have Dorothy grown up living in New York in maybe contemporary or today's time and looking after the son of her boss or something, which, needless to say, is completely wrong, I think. Like, if they are making a sequel to MGM, they would have to be in sort of the same time. I mean, you can't expect Dorothy from 1938 to be a young woman today. Like, oh, with 70 years passing. That's not actually what they were doing. That was going to be Dorothy's granddaughter. She goes to Oz. Granddaughter, yes, sorry. That would work much better, but as it was, it didn't happen. And that was also partially mixed up with the whole Todd McFarlane thing, which Ugh. I just don't want to get into. If you don't know Todd McFarlane's connection to Oz, you don't want to know. It's amazing how some of these abandoned projects are sometimes some of the lesser quality, almost dumb ones, like in out of tone with Oz and Bomb, you know? How some people just don't try properly. Yeah, you're like, oh, thank goodness that was abandoned. What were they thinking? Sadly, one that looks like it might have recently got into the abandoned stage was a CG animated version by John Borman. That I would have liked. It might not be abandoned so much as it is on hold because apparently they ran out of funding. So it really looked interesting. Yeah, you can probably Google it for some pictures and concept art. Maybe that video scene's still available. But uh, sadly, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. At least not soon. And probably with uh, Dorothy of Oz and Oz the Great and Powerful, uh, they might be holding off on it anyway. Because they didn't want to flood the market with a whole bunch of Oz movies at once. And it's already bad enough we already have Dorothy and the Witches and Oz out. Not that I'm saying that's a bad thing, a bad one. But I'm just saying it's already, the market's already getting flooded as it is. Yep. And we'll discuss those projects if and when it gets closer to the release dates. And we've seen them. Dorothy and the... Nah, I won't talk about Dorothy and the Witches and Oz right now. We'll save that for its own. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our talking about Walt Disney and the Rainbow Road to Oz. And other abandoned Oz projects. Maybe some of them would have been good. Maybe some of them would have been terrible. Maybe some of them would have been great. Some of them might have been wonderful, but either way, they are abandoned at the moment. Some of them, thankfully, some of them, oh. But, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. Movie making is a very finicky business. Till next time, this has been Jared Davis with Sam Malazzo. And we'll see you on the next Oz podcast. It could be Disney's Return to Wars. It could be something animated, a TV series, Rankin Bass, 
or something else entirely? We'll find out next time. There's three sad souls, oh me, oh my, no brain, no heart, see, he's much too shy. Well, never mind you three. Here's a wizard as you can see. He'll fix that one, two, three in a funny place called the world of Oz.